We haven't mentioned this much in the announcements or anything, but I wanted to also let you all know about something else going on at the church that is kind of new, at least in our recent history, and that is that this Tuesday, uh, we're becoming a polling place for the community. And uh, it was a while back, almost like a year ago now, the coordinator uh, called and said, hey, would y'all be interested? And I said, yes, I was excited. Our leadership team said, yes, we're excited. And she said, look, we've been calling churches. They're not calling us back. And I was like, no, we're so excited because that means that people who drive by this church every day and have never stepped foot in it can come to get us to know, know us better. That means that we can offer them hospitality. We're going to be having snacks on voting day. We can be a, a safe place for the community and reach out to them. So we're excited about that coming up Tuesday. Is this anybody's polling place in here? Um, it's a few of you. It's not mine. So I had to go online and look because I was like, okay, it's November, it's election day, but like, what are we voting on? Because I, I wasn't quite sure. And you can admit, you might not know either. So I went online. I was like, okay, there's two things, at least on my ballot. One, the, the local option sales tax. And then there was a second thing I, I wasn't really familiar with, but really has the potential to impact Sunday morning worship at our church. And that is the brunch bill. Do y'all know about the brunch bill? So it is to allow alcohol to be sold between like 10.30 and noon on, on Sunday mornings, which I guess now it's banned. And now I'm not going to tell you how to vote on the bill. I'm, I don't know how I'm going to vote on the bill either. I'm just going to say this, that I want y'all in church on Sunday morning, 10.30 to 12, instead of being at brunch, okay? You can get your mimosas, you can get your bellinis, all that stuff. You get that later, but I want you here on Sunday mornings because we have awesome snacks. We have an awesome hospitality team who serves us, so we want you here, okay? Okay, my fake political rant is now over. I, I really, you know, vote, vote your conscience. Um, but seriously, I don't know if you've realized it, a year from today, a year from today, November 3rd, 2020, is the presidential election. We're one year away. Now, I don't know if that makes your blood pressure rise a little bit. Yeah, some of you. Because you think, okay, for the next year, we're going to get all the political ads. All day, every day. The radio, the TV, you're not going to be able to turn them off. So, you know, some of us, it's like, okay, got to prepare mentally and emotionally for those. And then others of us, maybe you're like me, and I'm like, okay, I got to get my Facebook page ready because... I know for the next year, Tommy, who I went to middle school with, and I haven't seen him since, he's going to be arguing with Jimmy, who I went to elementary school with, and they're going to be battling it out in the comments, and there's going to be a lot of anger, there's going to be a lot of vitriol online, so we're getting ready for that. And then some of you, maybe you don't share politics and political thinking with your family members. Anybody have political disagreements in their family? Okay, so then you have Thanksgiving coming up, right? And you're looking forward to being around the table together and talking about the current state of affairs in our country, and you got Christmas. And so for a lot of us, when we think about the upcoming election, I mean, it can kind of raise our blood pressure. It can kind of give us a little bit of stress because we are living in what some people have called an age of outrage. An age of outrage, a time in our culture and in our country in which it feels like everybody is angry at everybody else. A time when, when we're feeling more divided and polarized than we ever have before in history. I mean, that's the way a lot of people are feeling. We live in a time when it's like the outrage machine is going to be unleashed on people. Vengeance is going to come at our political opponents and our other opponents at any moment. That's the time that we live in. In a recent poll, people said, you know what? It feels like the divisions are growing racially in our country, politically, between classes, 
people feel like things are almost to a breaking point. That's the age we're living in now. The noise is high. The anger is ready. The divisions are real. And so the question for us as Christians is how do we respond to what's going on in our culture? How do we as people who claim to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, how do we live in the midst of the country, the community, and the culture that we're living in right now? And that's what this sermon series that we're starting today and we're going to be in the next two weeks, that's, those are the questions that we're going to be looking at together. And the idea for this series, it came from just conversations with people and kind of looking at what's going on in our country. But it also came about uh, from a book by a guy named Ed Stetzer. He wrote a book and it's called Christians in the Age of Outrage. And recently, Ed Stetzer and Rick Warren teamed up out at Saddleback to preach uh, a series on these same ideas And so I want to give credit where credit's due because I'm going to be taking some ideas and themes and examples from their materials. But I think that it's important for churches like Saddleback, which is one of the largest in our country, churches like ours, churches all over our country to begin having this conversation together before we get even closer to the presidential election. Because I think that that if we're able to be honest with ourselves and we're able to look inside of the church rather than casting stones outside of the church, I think we'll see that at times we have contributed in unhealthy ways to the age of outrage that we're now living in. We, at times, have been heat instead of light in our culture. We haven't always lived much differently, believed much differently, or behaved much differently than other people in our culture. But if there's one thing we know from Jesus' ministry, if you've been following Jesus very long at all, this one thing you probably have realized is that Jesus calls us to live at least one way, and that way is different. He calls us to live different than other people in our world. And one of Jesus' most radical teachings comes to us in Luke chapter 6. We're going to be in Luke's gospel this morning. In Luke chapter 6, where Jesus says this, He says, love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he, that's God here, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. If you have your Bibles, I want you to to circle that word kind there. And see what Jesus is saying, because Jesus is saying here that God is kind. He's kind not just to people who love him, who respect him, who obey him, who listen to him. No, he is kind to people who rebel against him, kind to people who hate him, kind to people who are ungrateful and to people who are wicked. And Jesus is saying here, look, you need to live with that same level of kindness towards others in your life as well. Now, when it comes to kindness, maybe you're not sure kind of how to, how to define it. One simple definition is kindness is simply love and action. Kindness is love and action. Kindness is less an emotion. It's more of an action, something we do and something we live out on a regular basis. 
And so when we think about this teaching from Jesus, he's saying, look, we need to be kind. We need to put love into action to people who are different than us, people who hate us, people who disrespect us, and to people who love us. We need to be kind to all people. And now you can imagine that in Jesus' day, this was a very radical teaching. And it's a very radical teaching in our day as well, because when, when people are wicked, when they're doing wrong things in our eyes and in God's eyes, when, when people are ungrateful, our natural inclination isn't to be kind to them. It's something different. Our natural inclination is revenge. It's vengeance. We want our perceived enemies We want our political enemies. We want our potential enemies. We want people we don't like. We want them to be squashed out. Sometimes we just say we want them to be removed or, you know what, hey, maybe if they change the way they think, change the way they live, change the way they behave and act, all that kind of stuff, well, then maybe we'll we'll love them and be kind to them. And so this is even a very radical teaching for us in our day and age, especially in the age of outrage that we're living in now. And because this was such a hard thing for Jesus' disciples to get, even though he taught this over and over again, one day he told them a story about kindness, a parable about being kind to others and putting your love into action. And the parable he told them is commonly known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it is quite possibly the most famous parable that Jesus ever taught, but it's also quite possibly the most ignored teaching that he taught. And so I want us to dive deeper into that parable together this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 10. And if you're not familiar with what a parable is, uh, a parable is simply a story that uses common everyday objects like sheep, goats, people, rocks, paths, mountains, things like that. He uses common everyday objects to reveal to us deep truths about the kingdom of God and how we're called to live in it. So that's what a parable is. And if you're not familiar with what a Samaritan is or who a Samaritan is, the basic thing you need to know is that Samaritans were people that were hated in that day and age by other Jewish people. Jewish people hated Samaritans, and Samaritans generally also hated Jewish people as well. They differed from each other racially. They differed from each other spiritually. They differed from each other politically. They had fought each other in the past. There was a lot of bad blood, a lot of killing, a lot of violence between these two groups. And things were so bad that generally they lived in different areas and they tried to avoid each other at all costs and to never come into contact with each other because at any moment it was like a powder keg and things might just explode. So that's what a Samaritan is. And Jesus tells this parable of the Good Samaritan in response to a question and an interaction with a lawyer. And so we find this in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, and here's what we read there. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? Jesus, the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, well, Jesus, 
Who is my neighbor? Maybe you can relate to what he's doing here. I mean, all of us do that to Jesus at a level, right? I mean, Jesus says, feed the hungry. And we say hungry. Huh, that's an interesting word. What, what does hunger mean? I mean, is that like you missed one meal? Is that like you missed three meals? Is Jesus saying like feed the hungry people in like hungry in North America? Or like, is that like hungry in South America? And so we begin to analyze things and then we end up actually doing nothing, right? Or Jesus says, hey, don't store for yourselves treasures on this earth. Instead, store up treasure in heaven. And we think, well, I don't have any treasures. This is all just junk. This is all just stuff in my house. And so we think he's not, Jesus isn't talking to me. And that's basically what the lawyer's doing here to Jesus. He's trying to justify himself to get out of this. And so he says, well, look, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I have to love? Or another way of putting it is, who do I not have to love? I mean, is it just the person who lives next door to me? Or is this like the people in my neighborhood? I mean, Jesus, really, who, who are these people you're, you're talking about here? And so in response to that question, who is my neighbor, Jesus tells this parable, this story about kindness or putting love into action. And and here's what he says. He says, one day, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put this man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. He said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So in the story, common everyday thing, this is an occurrence that the people might have experienced in their own lives. Jesus tells us about people's different responses to this this man who's lying on the side of this road, which was a dangerous road in their day and age, lying on the side of the road, half dead, basically holding on to life, hurt, stripped, and beaten down. And he said the first person to come upon him is a priest. A priest who in that day and age was very high position in society, high status, had specific jobs in the temple. One of his jobs was to take care of other people. And, and so he comes down the road, he sees this man lying there, and what does he do? He passes by on the other side. And now scholars talk about why this might have been. They say, well, maybe he passed by on the other side because if you're a priest and you come into contact with a dead body, then you become ritually unclean. And so maybe he thought the guy was dead or he didn't want to become unclean. And so he said, you know what? I, I have to pass by on the other side here. I can't come into contact with that. Or maybe he was wearing his, his priestly outfit, his vestments, and he didn't want to get them dirty. He didn't want to get them bloody. Or maybe he had very important responsibilities at the temple that day. And so he just kind of kept on moving down the road and he was going to wait and share kindness with somebody else. We don't know exactly why he did it, but we know that basically he avoided the man, walked down the other side of the road. And when we hear this story, I mean, you can kind of relate to the priest, right? Because, I mean, we do this. 
I mean, somebody is in need, and we're like, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to deal with that because I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to get messy. Somebody says, "Hey, can you help me out?" And we think, "Oh my gosh, this is going to require so much effort and so much energy. I, I just I don't have time for it today. I have other things to do." Sometimes we have stuff on our agenda, we're busy, we're just running down the road, or maybe we're at a traffic light. I don't know if you ever do this. You know, somebody is literally standing there on the side of the road, looking beaten down. We just start fiddling with the radio all of a sudden, right? All of a sudden, our radio has to have all of our attention, and we we avoid people. This is a natural reaction that many of us have when we see somebody in need. And so we just kind of say, you know what? I got to keep moving. I'm going to save my kindness for somebody else. So that was the priest. He avoided him. And then we have the Levite, another religious guy. He had special jobs in the temple. He's walking down the road. He comes upon the man and he sees them. And what does he do? He passes by on the other side. And I wonder at this point, I mean, this guy's been laying there for a while now. I wonder if like the blood was beginning to pool under him. And so then I wonder if, if the Levite walking by, if he kind of did like we do, he like craned his neck. You know, like you do when you see a car accident, on the, you see somebody in need on the side of the road, you're just kind of like, you're curious and, and you're staring and you're like, God, send somebody to help them. And you know, we keep going and doing what we need to do. Maybe he, he thought, you know what? I love him, but I, I, I just, I, I just, I don't have the energy. I don't have the effort today. Maybe he did like we do, right? We see an injustice in the world and we think, God, you know what? Somebody needs to do something about that. And we just write about it on Facebook and say, somebody needs to take care of this. He was curious, but ultimately he didn't do anything. Or maybe he saw the guy and he thought, hmm, shouldn't have been wearing that outfit. If he wouldn't have been dressed in his fancy clothes, he wouldn't have gotten robbed. God helps those who help themselves. And so then he just kind of kept on walking down the road, saving his kindness for somebody else. And then we come upon the third guy. The third guy, the Samaritan who does something completely different. Rick Warren said, curiosity stares, but kindness stops. Curiosity stares, kindness stops, and that's ultimately what the third guy does, the Good Samaritan. He stops what he's doing. When he's walking down the road and he sees this guy lying on the side of the road, beaten down, half dead, he stops, and we read that he he sees him and he comes close to him. He has compassion on him, and ultimately, he shares kindness with him. He puts love into action and he cares for the man. He binds up his wounds with the stuff that he had. He put him on his own donkey. So instead of him riding the donkey on the journey, now he's walking and the guy's on his donkey ultimately takes him to an inn where he can get help, where he can rest and kind of recuperate. And he gives the innkeeper two days wages, two denarii, two days wages to help care for the man. We see a radical act of kindness in this Samaritan. And now, Jesus doesn't make this explicit, but to his listeners, he would have 
they would have all basically assumed that the man lying on the side of the road was a Jewish man. They were all Jewish, the people he was talking to. And so when they heard the ending to this story, that it was a Samaritan who helped the man in need, they would have been angry. They would have been upset and thought, that's, that's not the right ending to this story. Samaritans would never do something nice for somebody else. They would have said, no, 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 no. Maybe a Jewish guy helping a Samaritan because we're good and we're nice like that, but never would a Samaritan help out a Jewish person. And so they would have been shocked and they would have been scandalized by Jesus' teaching. And so in the midst of their shock and all, Jesus asked the expert in the law this. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And Jesus basically, he tells us, his disciples, to do the same thing. He says, hey, that person who, who's different religiously than you, that person who votes differently than you do, that person who looks differently than you do, that person in your family that you really can't stand, he says, go and do likewise. Go show mercy to them. Go love them. Go put your love into action. Go show kindness to them. He says, look, everybody is your neighbor. Whether you like them or not, you're called to love them. Nobody gets an out. And that's a tough teaching. That's a tough teaching, and it's one a lot of us theoretically know in our minds, but when it comes down to it in our everyday concrete lives, it's very hard to do this to other people. It's very hard, and so I want to give you three points of application. These are very brief. Three points of application so that you can help become a more kind person especially to people who aren't your kind. So when we think about three ways to become a more kind person, the first thing I want you to think about is this. I want you to see yourself in this story. If you're going to become a more kind person, the first thing you need to do is really see yourself, find yourself in this story. And now look, if you think about your life, sometimes you're probably like the avoidant priest, Sometimes you're probably like the, the curious but maybe apathetic Levite and you just kind of walk on the other side. Other times, right, you have been like the Samaritan. You've been kind to other people. You've lived this out. So at different points in our lives, we've been each of these three people, but I actually think that we're most like somebody else in this story. The person I think we actually need to most identify with is the person who's lying on the side of the road, half dead in need of life. Because Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians that because of our sins, basically at one time we were dead because of our sin and because of our trespasses. At other points in scripture we read that, that we are people who, who are sick and in need of a doctor to heal us. Another way of thinking about it is, is we're people who have been hurt by the world. We're people who've also hurt other people in the world. And we're in need of a savior. We're in need of somebody to come and to rescue us, to give us new life, to give us hope, 
to give us health, to give us healing, to give us wholeness, to give us salvation. We are that person in need. And the good news of the gospel is that God isn't like the priest. God isn't like the Levite walking on the other side of the road. Instead, God is most like the Samaritan in this story. The one who sees us and he comes close to us with compassion. He has compassion on us. He doesn't avoid us. He doesn't say, you know what? These people that I created have rebelled against me. They're wicked. They're doing terrible things. You know what? I'm just going to leave them be. No, he comes near to us and he saves us through his son, Jesus Christ. Because in the fullness of time, God entered into our world. He entered into the mess of our world and the mess of each of our lives. And he says, I love you so much that I'm willing to die on a cross for you. I'm willing to sacrifice myself for you so that you can be made whole, so that you can receive new life, so that you can receive a transformed life, a life that's countercultural, a life that's different than the people around us. And God does all of this because God is kind. And it's God's kindness that led him to enter into our world and sacrifice himself for us. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, to trust in him for salvation. It's God's kindness that that he pours out his spirit so that we can be renewed from the inside out. And what you have to see here is that we haven't earned God's kindness. We don't deserve God's kindness because so often you and I, we're ungrateful. We do terrible things. We haven't earned or deserved God's kindness, but instead God gives it to us as a gift of grace freely. And in turn, what he calls us to do is that as people who've received the kindness of God, he says, look, as people who've received, now I want you to go and to share that kindness with other people. Let it flow through you. Receive my kindness and then share my kindness. And so before we begin trying to be kind to other people, we need to first see how kind God was to us and let that rest deep in our souls as we see ourselves in this story. But the second thing we need to do, I mean, as we kind of think about practically in our everyday life how to do this, we need to slow down and see the needs around us. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but have you ever thought about, and maybe you have met this person, I, I don't meet many of them, have you ever met somebody who's very busy and very kind? That's good, because it's rare. It's rare to find someone who's very busy and very kind because when we're running around busy, so often we're preoccupied with our own thoughts, our own struggles, our own challenges, our own task list. And so we say, you know what? I got to keep moving down the road. I got to keep going. I don't have time to help out somebody else or to be kind to somebody else. We're so focused in ourselves when we're busy. And so one of the best things that we can do to become more kind people, it, it might be this week to delete something from your calendar so you have a little margin. So you have a little wiggle room to care for other people when you come across them. And this is something I, I struggle with. But it's something we see Jesus doing over and over again in his life. He was constantly slowing down and seeing other people. He had a mission. He was focused. But as he was on his way to different places to preach and teach, people would grab at him and they, 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 they would pull on his cloak. And what would he do? He would slow down. He would stop. 
And he would give them what they needed. He would give them healing. He would give them forgiveness. He would give them salvation. Jesus was willing to be interrupted. And if we're gonna be kind people, we have to be willing to do the same. We have to have margin in our schedules. I would say another thing, we, we need to have margin in our budgets. Because if, if we need to, to give something financially to somebody else or be generous in some way, if we don't have margin in our own lives, then we're, we're never gonna do that. We have to be willing to slow down and begin to see, really see the needs of others around us. Because here's the reality, everybody in our world is in need of something. Friendship, love, kindness, someone to just listen to them. You have needs, they have needs as well. So we need to slow down and begin seeing those needs. But as we see from the story, it's not enough to just see the needs and, and to move slow. We also have to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of other people. And that's what we see the Samaritan doing. I mean, he sacrifices his time. I mean, this journey would have taken a while to go on. It would have been moving slow. And then he has the time at the motel and then he goes back a few days later. He sacrifices his time. He sacrifices his money financially for this guy. He sacrifices his reputation. I mean, because you got to think, people in the Samaritan community, they would have thought, what are you doing helping out a Jewish person? How dare you? You shouldn't be hanging out with those kind of people. The Samaritan made great sacrifices in order to live a life of kindness. And if we're going to do the same thing, we have to be willing to make sacrifices as well. And sometimes those sacrifices might be small. I mean, I don't know how many of you, did y'all see this viral video going around from Halloween? This little kid, he comes upon the candy bowl. It's empty. He's concerned like all of us would be if we found an empty candy bowl. But he doesn't do what most of us would do. Instead, he starts going in his own stash of candy, sacrificing all the stuff he's been collecting over the last number of hours. He puts it in the candy bowl so that the people coming after him might receive a gift as well. He had freely received and now he freely gave. But he sacrificed for the sake of others. And it's a, it's a cute and it's a small, profound example of kindness from a child. But that's the type of thing that we can do in our everyday lives. We can sacrifice for others in, in small ways with a few minutes to listen to somebody, a few dollars to help somebody. We can sacrifice in small ways, but then we also need to be willing to sacrifice in large ways. I mean, after all, Jesus sacrificed his life out of kindness for us. And so that might mean sacrificing our reputations by by spending time with, with people who are different than us, even though other people might say, well, why are you, why are you hanging out with those people? Why, why are you with them? What's going on there? We have to be willing to sacrifice our reputations, sacrifice our, our priorities. Maybe we need to reprioritize some stuff in life so that we can become kind people. I mean, maybe we have to sacrifice some important things on our schedules. Or maybe in the midst of the season and the age we're living in now, maybe we need to sacrifice always having the final word in an argument. 
or always trying to be right. Maybe we need to sacrifice our need to make a point and instead listen and love the person in front of us. I mean, we're all gonna have to make sacrifices if we're gonna begin to live as kind people. And, and why do we do this? I mean, why would we, we make these kind of sacrifices? Remember, it's because God has been kind to us. God's kindness has changed our lives and he wants to work through us as we extend kindness to other people to change their lives as well. Amen.